Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired. My co-host tonight is a 21-year veteran of the NYPD, also retired, retired detective straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? Really good. You know, this case coming out of Virginia, uh, serial killers are rare these days. And, and one of the reasons is, is because technologically they get caught early. They usually get caught much earlier because, of course, cell phone technology, because of video, because of the sciences that we're able to use to connect cases together. However, this case down in Virginia, it appears to be now that um, that they have at least five uh five bodies connected to this uh, serial killer. And I just want to say right out front that I want to give our condolences to the family of, of these women because sometimes we lose sight of that when we investigate these serial killings. Everyone is so interested. Oh, my God, this is a serial killer. But there's real people behind this. There's real victims and there's real families. <laughs> and I just want to get that out there at uh, – you know, right in the beginning to let people know that there are real people and there are real victims to these murders. And um, we're going to go into it in, in a second. But you guys, you ready to go off the cuff? This is police off the cuff. I'm ready. It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing you can do. Hello, folks. You know, this case first came uh, to the attention of the police down in Virginia on November 23rd. And that's when they uh, discovered the two bodies of, of uh, Arlene Elizabeth Redmond, age 54, and uh, Danita Laurie Smith, age 39. And the commonality of this was that there were some dating apps being used by the suspect called uh, Fish, the Fish Dating App and Tagged Dating App. So, and, and in addition, there was this hotel down in Virginia called the Moon Hotel. So they were able to, right away, upon the discovery of these bodies, with videotape evidence and also uh, digital evidence regarding phones and that, that type of stuff, arrest someone right away. And they, they arrested an Anthony, an Anthony Eugene Robinson, and he's 35 years old. So now, this is unusual in itself that they can make an arrest that quickly. So... What that allows the police to do is to what they describe as work backwards. Now we put him in prison, and now we get all kinds of time to work on the investigation. And as it turns out, and we're going to get into it later on, but there's at least three more bodies. But the work of the police is nowhere near finished. And in my whole police career, I don't think I worked on a, a serial killer. There was one serial killing case in East Harlem in 1997. 
and I had just gotten to the precinct. So I sort of watched it and I didn't get really a chance to dig in and work it, but they're not that common. So when it happens, uh, all jurisdictions, all police, all FBI, there's a lot to learn about it. And there's a lot to learn about suspects and the victims uh, upon working this case. Phil, you got anything uh, to add? Yeah, Billy, obviously uh, serial killers are very fascinating uh, to the general public. I'm glad that you got out right in front and offered condolences to the families of these five uh, young ladies that were uh, were obviously killed by this, uh, this serial killer. Uh, again, condolences from myself to these family members. I mean, uh, five families lost a loved one. Uh, that's, I think, gets a little bit lost when we uh, dove into a uh, serial killer, serial killer type of case. Um, I did have uh, occasion to work on a couple of serial killer cases. Obviously, uh, my partner arrested Joel Rifkin. That was a pretty well-renowned uh, New York area uh, serial killer. He uh, killed, I believe, about 17 women. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, actually two of the bodies wound up in Coney Island, when I worked in that precinct, my partner caught those two cases. And, uh, you know, the, he was arrested by the state police on a car stop. And they uncovered uh, this uh, litany of, uh, of bodies that were connected to him. And there was another case that I also worked on uh, where a, a retired sergeant was killed. I talked about this case before. Uh, he was only retired about two months. But the guys that were responsible for his murder had killed about five people. Uh, two, two murders were connected to the re retired sergeant. And, uh, then they told us about other murders in, in confessions. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fascinating things with this case. Uh, yeah, there was a speedy arrest when these, uh, these first two victims were covered in November. And, uh, I think there was video surveillance camera footage that, uh, showed the, uh, the victim being dumped, uh, in a shopping cart and the shopping cart was, uh, key to, uh, putting this, uh, this serial killer uh, case together. Of course, there was uh, other bodies that were found uh, with a, uh, a shopping cart present, as well as, uh, you know, the uh, the same thing that you mentioned, Billy, with the Moon Inn Hotel was uh, frequented by the victims. And also uh, there's plenty of fish and uh, tagged dating apps. Um I'd really like to get into that when we uh, when we talk about the dating apps, because uh, I think there's going to wind up being a trail. Uh, we know of five bodies. There could be more, uh, maybe even some people that actually survived this uh, this Anthony Robinson's uh, attacks. So uh, I'm sure of it between the uh, Virginia police, Washington, D.C. police and the FBI, there's an extensive investigation that's probably well on its way. And uh Obviously, a lot of the things that we've talked about on other cases, uh, video evidence, cell phone technology, uh, that was really key in this case. And I'm sure that it's going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, sh shine light on on if there is other victims. You know, I want to play a very short video just to give the, our viewers a, a, a sort of a bird's eye view of what we're dealing with here. Um, and we'll get it from the, the news down there. Get this on the screen. That man, Anthony Robinson, killed at least four women in Virginia and used shopping carts to move their bodies. Our John Henry is following the breaking developments just coming in from Fairfax County. 
Fairfax County police say DNA evidence have helped them positively identify the bodies of 48-year-old Stephanie Harrison of Redding, California, and 29-year-old Cheyenne Brown of D.C. Both women were mothers. Brown's family still can't believe she's gone. And I'm so angry. Like, I, I don't even have tears anymore. Fairfax police say both women were found in a container near the Moon Inn Motel off Richmond Highway in Fairfax County. The department says a receipt showed Brown was last seen with Anthony Eugene Robinson at that same motel. Robinson lived in New York and more recently in D.C. He's already behind bars, charged with killing two other women in Harrisburg, Virginia. Officers say Robinson reached out to victims on these dating apps before ultimately killing them and transporting their bodies in shopping carts. Our major crimes detectives are looking for anyone who may have interacted with Robinson on these dating apps or any other dating apps. And now they suspect Robinson may have had a fifth victim in D.C. D.C. police say they're investigating the death of a woman who was found a block away from Union Station September 7th. That deceased woman in a shopping cart was covered only with a blanket. Fairfax says it's working with the FBI, MPD, and 35 other law enforcement agencies to go over other missing persons cases to see if they have any connections to Robinson as well. We want to know if there's any additional victims or survivors and that's why Fairfax County Police ask if you know anything about Anthony Eugene Robinson or have come into contact with him, that you reach them at this number below. You know, it, it's sort of uh, fascinating in a way, and thank God they caught him really early on in this case because, as you could see, they caught him for the November 23rd, the recovery of these two uh, females. Uh, I believe it was Arlene Elizabeth um, Redman and Tanita Larice Smith. But they had already, on in December, um, recovered two more bodies, Cheyenne Brown and Stephanie Harrison, the, the woman that was just on the screen. So sometimes, the, and, and the, the latest case, which was actually discovered the earliest, was she, her body was discovered in September, uh, September 7th, and her name was Sonia Champ. So they had her as a missing person, not necessarily as a homicide. So as you, the... And, and what, oh, another thing that makes this more difficult is the police jurisdictions. When it's not one police jurisdiction, you're relying on police agencies speaking to each other and not necessarily to each other verbally, but through teletype messages and to announcing that, you know, for example, the Fairfax police have recovered two DOAs, the DOAs are so-and-so. And really good police officers, investigators read these teletype messages. And when they have corresponding investigations or alike investigations, they look into that. And, and that's one of the problems when there's not a national notification system to notify all police. You're relying on the police agencies to notify each other. I believe there is a database that the feds uh, maintain where you can, uh, you know, if you have a, a, an unsolved homicide, you could put it in and sometimes they'll try to link it. But you're right, obviously, Billy. That, yeah, uh, Phil, there was a thing called VICAP. It wasn't right. very, yeah, it was not very uh, good to tell yeah, you. Yeah, for whatever reason, you're right. I, I, VICAP, I couldn't think of it, but it, it, yeah. it never really um, seemed to link uh, any cases uh, that were connected. Now, in this particular case, uh, when I first started to see the news media reports on it a, a, a few weeks back, um, the sheriff that was doing the press conference said that the victims died of blunt force trauma and unspeakable things were done to these victims. So that, that like, uh, makes me start to think, uh, 
was there drugs, narcotics involved in this where, uh, you know, it's a dating site. He meets them. They, they start to, you know, maybe drink, uh, ingest narcotics. And does he spiral out of control and become uh, vicious and uh, homicidal uh, based on maybe he gets high, he has flashbacks. Is he, is he uh, uh, a sufferer of PTS? You know, what is the motive behind killing these women? It sounds like, uh, and if you look at the age range, it's not like, uh, they're so different. All of the, uh, all of the victims seem to be of a different height, weight, look, uh, Caucasian, uh, non-Caucasian, uh, ages, uh, you know, from 54, 40, 29, 48, 39. So it, it seems like, um, he was just intent on killing. It seems like, and, uh, the thing I'm trying to get at is what triggered him to do these vicious acts to these women. What, what was the trigger? And, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but it seems like there might be other victims that may have survived, uh, you know, dates with this guy. Now I would be, first thing I'd be doing in this case is I'd be going to plenty of fish and tagged. I'd be hitting him with subpoenas to see what his account, who he hooked up with. There's obviously records of that. I'd want to interview every person that he had contact with and see, you know, to build a uh, sort of an MO, I guess, on what, what took place, you know, did he uh, go out on a date with them one time? Everything was good. You know, let's meet for a cup of coffee, discuss going out again. And then uh, later on you wind up in uh, in a homicidal rage with this guy. So uh, yeah, that's one of the things I'd be looking at. And again, you'd also possibly be identifying other victims. Uh, you know, if there's uh, other people that did survive, they would be helpful to testify in court. Uh, to give, you know, a background on, on, you know, maybe things that happened when they were together. So all of these things I'm sure are being looked at. And, uh, you know, I just hope that there isn't any other victims, you know, obviously five is a, is enough, you know, one is too many. So let's hope that there's not any other victims, but if there are, let's put it all together. Let's get uh, justice for whoever it is out there that was, uh, that was harmed by this, uh, this animal. He's an animal. You know, Phil, I, I was looking at uh, whenever there's a serial killer type thing. I looked through that book, uh, Practical Homicide Investigation by uh, Vernon Gebberth, who was a retired homicide lieutenant on our job. And one of the things he said, and I was just reading through, he says, most murderers are men. And I mean, I, you know, that makes so much sense, but that's true. And he said, and he also said later on, serial killers almost always has a sexual component to it. So you don't see many women as serial killers. So A, murderers are men, and B, most serial killers, there is a sexual component to this. So is it about power? Is there is there a clinical way to sort of look at the psyche of a serial killer and, and tie together uh, the power of, of of a rapist and the, the you know how a rapist they do it because they they feel the power over their victim. It seems the same sort of the same traits exist in a serial killer. And um, they, they, let's what we know about this guy, Anthony Eugene Robinson, he's 35 years old. They're baffled because he has really no criminal history. But when you look at people that study serial killers, they say that's not unusual. It's that not, not it, It's not unusual at all. You would expect, oh, he just graduated to these heinous murders, but apparently serial killers, it's not unusual for them to not have a criminal history. The other thing is that he's been, uh, he's transient. He travels all over and he's had multiple different jobs. So they really have 
their research cut out for them right now. Right now, uh, the Fairfax Police Department, I think, is the lead agency in this. Uh, and they've notified 35 different police agencies in regards to this, as well as the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit, because they want to find out, you know, his behavior. And I, I right now he's in, he's sitting in the jail awaiting trial on the first two murders. So at some point, maybe because he could be eligible for the death penalty, can that be used to get him to talk, to get him to come clean? I'm sure they interviewed him when they brought him in. I don't know the results of those interviews. Did he immediately lawyer up? Did he talk about what happened? But he does have an attorney right now. So I would think that these five murders that they discovered or they believe they've discovered is maybe just scratching the surface, especially if he was transient and he was traveling all over the place. He could have victims in other states, you know, he could, and he's working different jobs. And that's why, you know, something we call a victimology is so important to study the background of the victim to see how the victim came in contact with this person, but also even more important to study the background of the criminal. And through that, it makes it's made in this day and age, it's made easier by computers and great computer systems that can track every time this person moved, every time this person registered a new car, every time this person had a different license, every time this person changed jobs. So you're most people are an open book, except people that live under the radar. And those people we get um information on them every time they get arrested. You know, Bill, uh, if you look at some of the most famous serial killers, like a guy like Ted Bundy, uh, he didn't have any criminal history. Uh, when they looked into his past, there was some uh, similarities with other serial killers, whether it be uh, a single parent home, uh, sexual abuse as a child, uh, uh, just in general, physical abuse. Uh, and then there's uh, different uh, 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 things that the serial killers d display, different, uh, you know, uh, harming animals, different things like that. So it's not unusual to not have a criminal background as a serial killer. Again, you pointed out that uh, he was basically traveling through the Northeast Corridor. I know that they said he had an address in Brooklyn, New York. I believe it was in East Flatbush. Uh, he was tied to Washington, D.C. He's listed as a Washington D.C. resident uh, when he was arrested in court. Uh, they they had him as a Washington, D.C. resident. And then he was obviously at this Moon Inn Hotel in Virginia. Um, yeah, victimology is going to be very important. Uh, I think that the sexual component is obviously there. Dating site, uh, something, you know, was there, uh, you know, a date. And then uh, his sexual advances were sexual advances were rebuffed. And then he goes and flies into a rage. Or is it just a straight out? Uh, like a Ted Bundy where he would just uh, fool women, uh, you know, would he, he would put the cast on his arm or on his leg, fake like he had a broken arm, changing a flat. And then when he would get help from uh, a female that he was targeting, he would overpower them and then kill them. So uh, we don't know all the details just yet. I'm sure a lot of these things are going to come out. But um, the victimology, obviously very, very important. And then the past, the history of the perpetrator, his MO, what was his past like? Again, you want to know when he did all of these jobs, what was he like? Did he have problems at these jobs? What was his family life growing up? And again, th those are things that will be important for future investigations. Uh, FBI profiling would, would definitely want to know about all of that.
Well, you know, someone asked, "Is uh, was he working as a realtor?" And I believe there was. They did say he was working as a realtor. I don't know. They said he had numerous jobs. If he was transient, he was probably jumping around and changing jobs as often he w- as he was moving. So did he was so? If he was a realtor, that mean, means he had a license. He'd have to have a state license to sell real estate. So all of those things are trackable. When we talk about major dives into investigation, we call uh, things called mind mapping or data mining, where we can look every, up everything about a person and the interconnections they have with family, with friends, with places they live, with jobs, cars they owned, homes they own, places they lived, friends they have, uh, all of these things. Are, are in in databases that we and we have to look into every single one of these things and also now he's made himself even more trackable through these two dating sites and maybe he used other dating sites how about his social media if he's using social media he's definitely savvy with the internet he knows how to use the internet i mean look Phil, you and i are dinosaurs you know compared to these these 35 years old that's right in the thick of learning Everything about my kids make me look like a fool when they use the internet and they say, oh, you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do that. You don't have to. So, yeah, I, I, I plead guilty, but I wasn't raised with it, you know? Yeah, I think uh, the younger generation was uh, indoctrinated with uh, computers, cell phones. Uh, I myself, just like you said, Billy, I've turned to my youngest daughter many times to figure out things on uh, whether it be uh, a social media or something with the computer. So, uh, again, he was a, a real estate agent, and that's really, um, you know, that's anybody that's a real estate agent or has anything to do with real estate. You search homes on the computer. Uh, you, he's going to list homes. A lot of information uh, would be put into, uh, you know, uh, a, a real estate agent would be very well-versed in the computer. That's probably how he was well-versed with the dating sites. Um you know, I, I think there's just a lot of work to be done with this guy to figure out, uh, you know, like, for instance, uh, were all the bodies uh, dumped? Some of them were found in a commercial industrial area. Uh, I, I think one or two of the bodies was found right near that uh, Moon Inn Hotel. So is his uh, is his MO, does he have a comfort zone where he wants to be near a hotel where there's a commercial uh, location, uh, you know, that might be deserted on the weekend or at night that he can take the shopping cart and go dump the bodies. Where does he get the shopping carts from? These are all things they're going to be looking at. And again, were all of the homicides committed in the same manner? Blunt force trauma, let's say to the head. We don't know uh, what part of the body was injured, but were they uh, strangled? Were they stabbed? Was it just a straight out blunt force trauma? Those are the things that are going to be very, very uh, important. Uh, when we're looking at, let's say, throughout the whole United States or the whole Northeast Corridor, other people that are missing and other homicides that are unsolved. So these are the things that they're going to try and put together, all the little pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and again, Billy, you mentioned something earlier. I think that's what I was thinking, too, before we went on the air. I, I, I didn't mention it to you, but I'd want to sit down with this guy. It sounds like he lawyered up right away. I don't think he gave much information regarding, uh, you know, what he was responsible for. They linked him through the cameras, you know, the video surveillance cameras and the cell phone. So I would definitely want to sit down with him at some point once he's convicted of the first two murders, because that looks like the way it's going to go, there's going to be the trial for the first two. Let's get him convicted on those. And then once we put these other cases together, if there is stuff that comes to light that we can link to him, now we'll sit down have a conversation with him as an attorney and say, listen, full cooperation. 
we can do A, B, or C uh, regarding uh, your future incarceration. He's never going to get out of jail, hopefully. Uh, again, like you said, there could be a death penalty here lurking. Uh, maybe make a deal with him to take the death penalty off the uh, off the table. Full cooperation, uh, you know, victims, uh, manner of death, uh, all these different things that uh, that would be relative to the uh, to the investigation. Folks on the screen, that's a picture of Anthony Eugene Robinson. That's uh, one of the carts that he used to transport the bodies. One of the things that they're going to be doing, they should be doing, and I'm sure they're going to be doing, is to go national with this in the national news story and to reach out to the public, not just for people that have seen him, but for people that may have encountered him, encountered him on a dating site, encountered him in a in public, with friends with him, you know, that uh, had dealings with him as a realtor. Uh, all of those things are so, so important. And, and that's one, these are one of the cases these type of cases are the cases where the police really need to use the public and the public's cooperation. In addition, there's something called linkage and linkage has to do with, with these cases it is linking, linking the cases through modus operandi and through evidence linkage. Uh, like all police departments now, well, at least they've notified 35 should know about his MO. Now we don't know a lot about the, we understand that the the victims were killed through blunt trauma, but we don't know much more than that. So I think agencies uh, that may have a similar case will actually need to reach out to the Fairfax, Virginia police to find out the exact cause and what he did do during the course of these, of these murders. That may be very important in linking some of these uh, cases together. Um, as we said earlier on, these serial killings are very rare because law enforcement is so good these days, but, and also because of technology, that it's very tough for someone to become a serial killer. They go, get caught very early. In fact, in the, in the uh, practical homicide investigation, he gives a definition of what a serial murder is, and, and it's, a, um, it's two or more separate murders where an individual acting alone or with another commits multiple homicides over a period of time with time breaks between each murder event. So that sort of defines it because someone, you may ask if someone kills two people or three people, is that, are they a serial killer? No, they're not. Uh, based on that definition, there has to be breaks in between the event to make that. Folks, I also want to just say, uh, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not a subscriber, please go on our YouTube Hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We have a Patreon with three levels. If you could help us out, uh, going on, we have a Patreon. We also have a YouTube where we have members of our uh, of the uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime family, and you can see those folks in the chat. They have the green font, and we appreciate them for two ninety nine a month. You're the bucket six ninety nine a month. Your backyard beverage or or a coffee with Cannon nine ninety nine a month. You could polish my rack. $24.99 a month, you're dipped in butter. And the premier, $49.99 a month is heated dipped in butter. And I thank all of you YouTube members for supporting, especially in 2021, got us going, and now keeping us going in 2022. These cases are, are just really amazing. And, of course, they also reached out to the FBI in their behavioral analysis unit to look into uh, 
this this guy, Anthony Eugene Robinson, young guy, 35, but he's old enough to have been doing this for a long time, and he's old enough to have victims across the country. Billy, could you put his picture up again? I just want to make a point about, uh, sure. you know, listen, if you think about serial killers uh, from the most famous cases, now he doesn't look any different than any other person that you might pass on the street. So serial killers don't wear a sign on their back that says I'm a serial killer. It could be anyone. Uh, a lot of times they sort of lead a double life. They may carry on a normal life with a job and, and a family even, and they go into this uh, other alternate universe where they, uh, where they kill people. And, and a lot of times if it's for sexual gratification, but the point I'm just trying to make is that uh, this gentleman, uh, Anthony Robinson, 35 years old, doesn't look any different than uh, most other people that you pass in a, in a coffee shop or uh, driving down the road that you see. Uh, so again, I think the investigation, they should try to talk to as many people as possible. Like you said, Billy, they should hit it on the national news. I did see it on a, uh, on a local news channel and I did see it on a national, but it didn't get a lot of attention. That was a couple of weeks ago. Now that a fifth, uh, victim has been linked to him. I think they need to hit that again, get his picture plastered all over the place and maybe some tips will come in. Or even, uh, if there is other victims out there that may have survived, they would come forward. Uh, that's going to be real important to putting this whole thing together. Uh, yeah, it, it's a fascinating thing, uh, you know, serial murderers. But uh, we have to do the best we can to try and prevent stuff like this. And a lot of times uh, these serial murderers or murderers in general will have a uh, history of domestic abuse, physical, sexual. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of times they'll act out because of what happened to them when they were children. So uh, again, you know, uh, interaction by, uh, you know, child protective services and therapies can prevent possibly a, a psycho ser serial killer like this uh, Anthony Robinson. Let me put up a little bit of the, uh, the uh, Fairfax, uh, Virginia boss, the investigative boss here, play a little bit from him. Major Ed O'Carroll, Bureau Chief of Major Crime, Cyber and Forensics, Fairfax County, Virginia Police Department. I too extend my heartfelt condolences to the families of uh, these victims. Uh, these are horrible tragedies. Cheyenne Brown, Stephanie Harrison were amazing women. They did nothing wrong. Both loved by families and our community. Our detectives have not stopped working since we were first notified of this case on December 7th. Just this week, we received a tip, a critical tip, that our person of interest may be linked to another case where a woman was found deceased in a shopping cart in Washington, D.C. My detectives immediately contacted the Metropolitan DC Police Department to share this information. That deceased woman in a shopping cart was covered only with a blanket. We believe this may be Anthony Eugene Robinson's fifth victim. This is based on digital evidence that puts him in the same vicinity around the time 
of the victim's disappearance. Sad and tragic. Meanwhile, my detectives here in Fairfax County have combed through, and the chief mentioned it, through thousands of paper receipts from the Moon Inn. They have found receipts where Robinson stayed on previous occasions. This motel is located in the Alexandria section of Fairfax County on Richmond Highway. We are looking very carefully at each of these days to see if anything happened during his stay. As Robinson now spends his days quietly, probably warm and cozy, locked away in a Rockingham County jail, uh, we are working around the clock. Our detectives have been working to uncover additional digital evidence to find out where Robinson was each and every day over the past year and beyond. We know a lot, but we do need uh, your help about his habits to help uncover additional victims or survivors and to build a strong, accurate, and detailed case against Robinson. Now, you know, that's, uh, here they are. That's great. They're reaching out to the public. I just want to address something. Tim Acosta, why isn't there a database anymore that lists MO of crimes? We're all PDs relying on NCIC. That's the National Crime Information uh, System there uh, now alone. You know, Tim, we mentioned before that um, there was a program that the FBI used called VICAP. Right, VICAP. And as far as I know, they don't keep that up anymore. I don't know uh, if they discontinued it because it wasn't successful, but there absolutely should be uh, some type of MO um, system where murderers that cross state lines and um, that travel throughout this country, or how, even in, look, the, DA, the, the DNA database is called CODIS. And that stands for the Combined DNA Identification System. That's a national system. Could serial killers travel? Could they take a plane to France and kill somebody? Absolutely. Is that connected to CODIS? Absolutely not. So maybe there should be an, an international DNA database. You know, but probably the big thing is who would pay for it. And that would probably be the thing like, oh, we're not paying for it, you know? It's always about money, Billy. It's always about money. Yeah, so... I always thought that too, is like, here you have um, a world that, you know, you could be in Europe in three hours, but yet uh, a database like DNA, CODIS, Combined DNA Identification System, is a national, not an international database. And that's why even with DNA, and it, this gets very scientific, is that some jurisdictions are trying to keep their own database with the theory that most crime is local isn't it? And you know, Philly, as well as I do, when you want to get some someone, test someone's DNA against CODIS, it's, it takes a long time. So you have to give them or to, to, to grab someone out of CODIS that is in the database and compare DNA that you have against it, that takes a long time. So an exemplar, if you could take an exemplar from a suspect and have it in a local database, you may be able to get a hit really quickly as compared with CODIS. And I hope I'm not confusing everyone that's listening. No, no, you, you, you're making a great point, Billy, because it's so vast. And it, it's uh, like you said, it's it's a giant database. But, you know, the NYPD has the homicide analysis unit. I remember we would fill out the sheet and you would put the victimology, obviously the age of the victim, the sex of the victim, 
the manner in which they died, how the body was found. You'd put specific details in that. I don't think that that's so hard to do on a national level through the FBI. I mean, I don't know how I, I did remember Viacap that we used to do that, but now you're saying it's not, it's not the main. I remember anymore. when I was in homicide, we stopped filling out those forms. They yeah, told us yeah. to stop doing it. So yeah, I mean, listen, it's really not that hard to do. If you had a sheet of paper with a few uh, fill in the blanks of information on a general homicide, you know, if you have people be and, and you would put like in this specific case, you'd put victim found inside of a shopping cart, close proximity to a shopping cart. And you might have the linkage to other cases throughout, you know, throughout the country where uh, blunt force trauma, female victim in there, you know, let's say thirties, forties, fifties, whatever it is, uh, blunt force trauma, shopping cart is the, uh, is the thing uh, less, you know, uh, staying at a hotel, whatever it may be. Those are the important pertinent facts that would be definitely worthwhile putting into a database and then uh you wouldn't have to work so hard to put it together to see if there is other victims and again if there's uh if there's a homicide in virginia and then there's another homicide in washington and they're linked up right away it might prevent you know the further homicides that are going to occur so obviously all working together uh you know uh, trying to get things solved quickly as possible can prevent obviously a madman like this guy Robinson from committing more uh, heinous homicides. Uh, Marie Green, uh, to answer your question, uh, the perpetrator is 35 years old. And as we said before, what sounds a little baffling is that he has no criminal history, which was a little bit baffling to the police agency that caught this case. He happens, we, we don't know a great deal about him other than that, except that he's transient. He's had, a, he's had an address in New York, uh, New York yeah. City, according to Phil, and Washington, D.C. So there needs to be a deep dive going all the way back to his childhood on this guy. It's, you know, he's a serial killer. So we need to have a deep dive. We need to do a deep dive in to where he's traveled, where he goes. And, you know, look, he's done us a favor. He's gone on these digital sites. He's got a cell phone. You know, he's not flying below the radar. So... We have a lot of things that we can work on. These police agencies, and that's one of the things you hope also is that uh, Real with Robo, thank you so much for the final super chat to answer your question, Phil. California repealed the DP, Maryland abolished it, Virginia abolished it, and DC can't execute anyone. Yes, but on the death uh, penalty. Under federal stat statute, if it's a fed, they deem it a federal crime because he's crossing state lines, he could possibly get it under the federal statute. But you know what? Let's. Let's uh, see what develops if there's any more victims and stuff. But there's other ways, even if he's not facing the death penalty. Obviously, Bill, you know, uh, they can maybe, uh, you know, if he has a family in, uh, let's say, New York City and he wants to be close to home, there's always ways to work with uh, someone of this caliber to try and get them to cooperate. First thing I would do, try to get him convicted of, of the, the, those first two murders. Get him convicted on that. The, the wheels of justice are already turning on that. And then we'll talk about, uh, you know, the, the let's make a deal part of it. Uh, obviously not to let him out of jail, but to maybe make his his incarceration, uh, you know, closer for family members or something like that. And if he cooperates, the, things like that could, uh, could you know, work in his favor. Uh, Billy, you brought up the cell phone. Uh, if he had the same cell phone for the last year, uh, cell phone technology, uh, with regard to subpoenas and stuff, they cell phone companies hold all the cell phone 
information for one year. So they can go back about a year to see where his cell phone was pinging or who he was calling, uh, even what dating sites or what websites he was visiting on his cell phone. So there's a treasure trove of information just on his cell phone. If he has a home computer or a laptop, or if he had access to any computers, again, more information that might be helpful in this investigation. Um, it's just, it's really sad to see the pictures of these people that were, uh, that were killed by this maniac. Um, again, condolences to their families. Uh, and hopefully uh, there isn't going to be any other victims than the ones that we know about. You know, one of the things, and in, in, in no way do I imply to a victim blaming at all, but in Gebreth's, and I'm giving them some free plugs, practical homicide investigation, it used to be the Bible of homicide investigation. I don't know if it still is. I'm sure other books have come out. But he listed risk, what he called risk. And for example, to become a victim of a homicide, he listed low medium and high risk and low risk of course is person going about their life you know traveling to work they 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 don't abuse drugs they don't abuse alcohol they don't, don't stay out late and uh so i'm just giving a quick example medium you may take some risks that may put you at risk and one of the things i'm going to point to right now and don't get me wrong because it seems a lot of people use it are dating sites does that put someone out there at risk to meet someone perhaps that haven't been properly vetted. I would think that uh, dating sites, uh, one of the things you should also do besides seeing if someone's compatible is meet them in a public place, at least the first few times, you know? Uh, And then of course there's high risk people that are high risk victims of becoming the victim of homicide. Those are people that uh, partake in dangerous things like prostitution uh, drug Probably. dealing yes. uh, and criminal activity. And they become what's known as a high risk to become a victim of a homicide. So I'm not victim blaming. I'm just, this is scientifically proven through statistics. So perhaps in this case, and again, not blaming anyone for going on a dating site. It's very common that people do it these days. I don't know these two dating sites that we mentioned. Uh, or they Plenty of the- fish and tagged. Right. Are they are they high level ones? Are they lower level? Me, I don't know if that even exists, but these are things that potentially could put a person at risk. You know, some of the dating sites, there's been a lot of success stories. I think some of them actually do uh you know require a a, a lot of information on the person that is uh, putting themselves out there. So again, obviously, Billy, you made a great point. If you're gonna meet someone on a dating site, Go to a public place. Try to get as much information about that person as possible. Um, one point I wanted to make, it, you know, uh, I don't think that uh, this Eugene uh, Anthony Robinson, uh, Anthony Eugene Robinson, I don't think he started out uh, just killing women uh, after meeting him on a dating site. These are things that happened gradual. He he may have graduated from assaulting to uh, uh, to killing them. And where did it start? That's one of the things we got to figure out going forward. I'm sure the investigators are doing the same thinking that I'm thinking or that Billy's thinking. Uh, they want to know where did this all start? What led to it? Uh, what what about his past took place in his life that caused him to be this way? Well, there's going to be, it's, it's almost uh, guaranteed that there's going to be some violence in his childhood, whether it be sexual, physical, 
uh, uh, you know, child abuse, uh, something went wrong in this man's life for him to have uh, become a serial killer. I'm sure of it. And again, like you stated, Billy, there's a the science to this stuff. This is not, uh, you know, just shooting from the hip. We know from previous, uh, there's been many, many serial killers there from previous investigations. Uh, when they look into the background of these uh, psychopaths, that there's always a, uh, almost like a recipe for the disaster that takes place. Uh, like I said, I mentioned uh, sexual abuse, uh, child abuse, uh, single parent homes, uh, whether it be financial distress, uh, narcotics, alcohol abuse in the home. Uh, these are all the characteristics that uh, take place in the uh, in the study of uh, serial killers in their past, in their childhood. For sure. Phil, give us a read here. Sure. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-172-1702, excuse me, or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. You know, folks, uh, they're going to have to obviously take a deep dive into Anthony Eugene Robinson. Uh, because he's from New York, potentially, could he have cases in New York? Absolutely. You know, when they talk about... Um, geographical profiling uh most criminals commit crimes where they live because they're just like us they're lazy and they they don't want to travel far so when you talk about geographical profiling there's a good chance that anthony eugene robinson has committed a couple of murders in new york city now i don't want to raise up the nypd they're going to be calling me what do you mean what do you know i don't know anything i'm just saying chances are statistically you know, he's been traveling. He's a transient guy, which means he travels around. Uh, he's had numerous different jobs. He lives, he has an address in New York City, he has an address in Washington, D.C. So far, they've discovered five bodies in the Virginia Commonwealth area. Now, potentially, I think right now, New York City detectives are probably going through all the missing person cases they have throughout the city with the assistance of the missing person squad out of the chief of detectives office and every squad in the city should be going through their female missing person cases, you know, and there's just a great chance that this has occurred. And the, the greatest thing right now is that they have him locked up. So they don't have to worry about him committing other offenses. He's on ice as we used to say, and he's not going anywhere so they can take their time and do a thorough job. They can reach out to the experts, the FBI, the behavioral analysis, and just, you know, take their time letting people know about this guy. You know, Billy, um, there's something about this case. Uh, you sort of hit on it. Uh, and I think it's generally true with most murderers and serial killers, or just gen uh, people in, in general that commit crimes. There's a comfort zone. His comfort zone was he was staying at this hotel. They linked him and some of the victims to this hotel. Now, DC, I don't know where he was staying there. That was the, the location, the hotel in Virginia. But he had a comfort zone. He wanted to 
do whatever he did and be able to transport the body away to dump it. Uh, he went to a commercial area, an industrial area and dumped the body. So uh, these are the things that you might be looking for. If a body was found in that type of a location, was there a hotel close by? Uh, this was the obvious comfort zone for this particular individual. And in, uh, in serial killers, uh, you know, there's no way to say exactly this is the recipe that caused these things. Uh, a lot of times it's a little different, but there is a science to it. They've been studied uh, up and down seven ways to Sunday uh, in the past. So uh, a lot of the things that we're, we're bringing out are, uh, are not just, you know, like I said, shooting from the hip. They're based on previous experience, previous investigation, and the science and the study of, of serial killers. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, this fifth case that came about, they're already, uh, you know, publicly stating that they believe he's involved in it because of the cell phone technology from when she was last seen alive. His cell phone was obviously pinging or close to proximity of where she was. So that's how I think they're uh, they're tying it to him. I also believe there was a shopping cart in that case as well. Uh, she was found in a shopping cart. So the stretch to, 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 you know, name him as being involved in that one is not that far at this point. The shopping cart is there and we have the cell phone technology putting him in the location. So again, uh, when they do the, uh, you know, the, uh, the DNA that may have been recovered from her body, it may tie to him fingerprint, uh, or other evidence, you know, when the crime scene was done, I'm sure, uh, you know, they did extensive, uh, examination of her body now, uh, fingernail scrapings, different things like that. Is there going to be DNA that's going to link back to him? I'm sure they're going to be comparing that now. And, uh, a lot of things are probably being done. Uh, we mentioned so many of them already, but, uh, this is how, uh, we could really, you know, uh, put a stop to a future, uh, psychopath, you know, by, doing the investigation, doing the study and um, coming up with the answers to a lot of, uh, a lot of questions. Well, you know, Phil, that's why the uh, thorough investigation, when you get a serial killer like this, uh, that's why I think it's important to have the death penalty. And even though it seems like no one gets it anymore, it's a negotiation, a negotiation tool. When you have someone like this, they say, look, we can go for the death penalty or you could tell us everything, uh, all the other cases that we think you uh, may have may have done. And that type of negotiation tool is taken off the table when, you know, certain states don't have it at all. And a guy like this, I mean, you know, I don't want to be redundant, but you got to take a deep dive into this guy because he's been around. He's been in different states. He travels. uh He's got a very unique modus operandi, you know, the blunt trauma, the, the shopping cart. He likes motels. I would imagine, and I'm without going to the Moon Hotel, I would imagine it's not the Waldorf story. <laughs> you know, I would imagine there's no doorman. There's no guy opening the door of your car as you show up. I would imagine it's probably a sleazy um, little hotel, you know, and... So that's part, probably part of his MO, too. He's not, uh, um, well, look, he, he, he's, it seems like they haven't really nailed him down into what his profession is. What is his work? What is his work profession? And, you know, no one uh, in this world can survive without money. You, everything costs money, you know. So even though he's transient, how does he get around? Does he take public transportation? Does he have a car? 
all of those things. Robert Mahaney, yeah, Motel 6. I'm sure the Moon, Moon Hotel wasn't even as nice as Motel 6, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, you know what, Billy, too? Uh, I'm very, very intrigued by the fact that from September 7th to November 23rd, that's when he was arrested. A little over two months, five people are killed. Uh, it, it's really raising me up that uh, there's more to this case than than we're seeing. Uh, there could be rapes. There could be assaults. There could be uh, other things. Hopefully, God forbid, no other murders. But uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, he started out in September of this year. And by November, he was incarcerated and took out five people. Uh, I just would think that there had to be a gradual step to get to that point. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the deep dive is very, very important in this case. Very important. Uh, Catherine Mooney, his name is Anthony Eugene Robinson. Robinson. He's a male, 35 years old. The other thing is, is that we haven't brought up now. There is a possibility, and probably not in these cases, that he has an accomplice. I mean, it doesn't fit the MO in this case, but, you know, sometimes you get surprised. I mean, the case, I think, that baffled everyone, and I would love to actually take a deep dive into that because I read the book about it, was the Beltway Sniper case. The FBI Beha Behavioral Analysis Unit predicted that the shooter was a male white, 35 years old. It was so far off as to be ridiculous. The shooter turned out to be a male black 17 with another male black who was like a father figure him to him who was about 35, 40 years old. So the, the behavioral analysis and predicting who was doing those cases was just way off. Uh, it was way off base. And I don't know. I, I don't know the science behind that. I remember I took the criminal investigation course uh, in NYPD and I later taught at the criminal investigation course. And there was a guy named Ray Pierce. Oh yeah. Who was an NYPD detective who went to the FBI behavioral analysis school. And he was big with, you know, profiling. That was what they called it profiling. And then that word became a dirty word because it was like profiling someone by race or whatever. But profiling was really, to profile someone according to many things, modus operandi, height, weight, uh, criminal history, um, signature, all of those things were thrown into, uh, you, you know, to uh, trying to find out who this person, profiling, let's profile this person. Who is the Beltway sniper? Who is he? What does he look like? Where did he go to school? Is he of average intelligence? Is he low intelligence? But I don't buy it. I don't necessarily buy it because I haven't seen it really in my career. I've never seen it really work. You know, it's one of those things. It's like a sketch artist. Sometimes the sketch is dead on and sometimes it's not even close. I guess, you know, listen, there's, there's success stories maybe with regard to profiling. I haven't heard too many of them myself. But, uh, yeah, but Ray Pierce, he was a good guy. And uh, he was actually the profiler for the NYPD. Uh, yes, you know, what, what, Phil, what, what use is it really when you think of it? Like how accurate could it possibly be? It's almost like a medium. Remember, we've had a couple of yeah. mediums on our show, right? Yeah. And every time we have on a medium, I'm entertained as hell, but I don't believe a word they say, you know? And I, I think that, listen, for me, uh, where the evidence has taken me, where the case has taken me, and a lot of times, you know, for me, it was always just like 
when I, when I started to do investigation, it was kind of like common sense. I mean, you know, not really common sense. It's the, the steps that we would follow, you know, if the case starts to point in a direction, like with this particular case, they pulled the videotape probably of the hotel, which was close by to this commercial uh, industrial area. And they must've saw or somewhere close to where the body was found. They saw the guy pushing the cart and it just went from there. So I think a lot of times, could it be helpful? I mean, if you're at a complete and total zero, you don't have anything on a case. I mean, so they give you a profile of who to look for. I mean, that's still not that much information, you know, unless they give you the guy's name and address, the actual perpetrator, which was, which is obviously impossible. I mean, you know, it, it maybe it is somewhere helpful, but uh, to me, good old fashioned police work, legwork, uh, you know, study of video cameras, uh, t cell phone technology today, all the things that we, we have today, that's that's the way to, uh, to to solve these cases. 100%. Fuzzy Doxy, uh, you know, you hit this on the head. My friend was abducted at Walmart, forced into her car. The next day she was found dead. She was getting a birthday gift for her son. Never get in the car. You know, you're 100% right. Someone pulls a gun on you and says, get in the car. Don't do it. Run. Take right. your shot right there. Yeah, you they're gonna probably fight. if they shoot at you, they kind of probably miss, and they probably won't shoot because they want to get away. Don't ever get into the car with a criminal that tries to force you in the car. Good point. That's a yes. very good point. And uh, you know, I've set up myself, and I my actual master's degree is in security management, and I always thought that too. It's like someone comes on the street, pulls a gun, and says, "Get in the car." I'm like, "Yeah, right." Boom. That's when you you turn on the four four speed in the forty. <laughs> well, one of the other things is uh, during a holdup, you know, if you give over the money, and now they say, "All right, uh, you know, come in the back room, we're going to tie you." That's that's also a no no. You're placing yourself at grave risk. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell anybody uh, to fight and get killed, but uh, if things don't look or smell. You know, the, the hair on the back of your neck starts to stand up. It usually happens for a reason. Uh, yeah, you got to take a shot at that point. And, uh, Bill, you know from personal experience about that. Yeah, so. that happened to me, man. I was getting robbed, and the guy robbing us was going to tie us up. And I said to myself, this robbery is over. Yep. <laughs> I am not getting tied up. You know, yeah. once you get tied up, everything that happens is bad, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I took my shot, and uh, it worked out. You know, he's in prison for life, and I'm alive here. Thank you God. Know, Thank I was God. alive to drink for a month straight to get over it. <laughs> but, but I did. No, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Michelle, Michelina Serena, Bill Cannon, some serial killers are doing it, are doing it out of anger and, and has complex trauma, angry towards someone from their past who either abused them or knew about it and didn't help them, et cetera. It's crazy. You know, Michelina, we can't really look into, I mean, we can look at, serial killers and these type of people, you know, why does someone do crime? You know, that's, they look into the sociological and the psychological, but there's people born very poor and in bad circumstances. And for some reason they rise above all that and become super successful people. I've seen it. I taught in a college with all black and Hispanic kids for 10 and a half years. And some of those kids did great. A lot, most of them did. Okay. You know, and one of the things I used to ask them, and I was baffled by this because I said to them, I go, you think a white kid that's rich has a better chance of making it than you? And they, they all said to me, no, I don't think so. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool that you think that way, you know, because I, look, we all get jealous. Sometimes you see someone that has an easier life than you, for example, right? Oh, look at that guy, man. He doesn't even have to work. His dad paid his college. Sounds like my kids, you know, they don't have to do this. They don't have to do that. But 
you know, it doesn't help you to be jealous, I guess. It, 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 I, I think the, the point you're probably hitting there is that th these kids are educated that probably said that they, they, you know, once you're educated and you understand the way things work, I think, you know, it, it's kind of common sense to, to think that, you know, and listen, in this day and age, in, in the last 25, 30 years, uh, the, the, the playing field has really been leveled more than that even, you know? So I think that, listen, I really hope and pray that society would always, uh, you know, reward merit. In other words, it, it, the right person for the job, if you have the highest score, it doesn't go by what your race is. Let's go with the person that has the highest score for the job and, and the technology end of it and whatever it is, you know, uh, you can't have somebody that, did an 80 on a test and the person who did a hundred isn't getting the job because the person that did an 80 is a minority. I don't think, I don't agree with that. That's my own personal opinion. Let's, uh, let's have a world that's fair and based on, uh, you know, uh, how good you are at what you're going to do. And it's really not that simple. You know, I, I, I think that we all at some point in our life, um, get someone that helps us tremendously. And hopefully everyone gets that at some point when maybe you're down, Someone gives you that kick in the ass or someone gives you that encouragement. Someone gives you that reason to push on, you know, and that you don't give in to despair. It seems like that many, many people do. Guys, this Tuesday night at 9 p.m., we have Gil Carrillo and talk about serial killers. Yeah. He was the case detective of the Night Stalker case back in uh, 1985, 86. Um, and He's going to come on the show on Tuesday at 9 p.m. I'm so thrilled to get him as a guest. I've been trying to get him for like a year, and he was ignoring me for a while. Finally, I got through to him. He's coming on the show, and we can't really – I don't know how we're going to – it's a little tricky. He can't do a deep dive into the uh, the Night Stalker case, but he said he could talk about it. He's still under contract. They're doing TV shows, TV series is about this. I don't know if you saw last year they did the Netflix series on it. it was It was amazing. It's the Richard Ramirez case. If you read that case, it's so heartbreaking. It's just, it's so sad. And uh, Gil Carrillo is just an amazing, amazing guy. And Phil and I are so looking forward yes. to interviewing him on Tuesday. That you know, we're so excited. I also got um, a commitment from Heather McDonald. She's the conservative writer who has a book out called The War on Police and several other books. So she's a great supporter of the NYPD, a, a great supporter of police uh, to begin with. I also have a potential, I don't have a date yet, but Ashley Banfield, uh, she's a reporter for News uh, Nation. She formerly was on CNN. Uh, we got her number. We're going to try to get her on the show. And we're working on some other guests. We're trying to bring the very best guests we can to you guys. But uh, Phil and I actually threw this episode together today. And we thought it's an important case, and it could still blow up into a, a usually bigger case than it already is right now. Phil, final words? Final words. Again, uh, our condolences to the families of these five women that lost their lives to this savage animal. Uh, let's hope that the investigation uh, gets a lot of uh, questions answered, uh, that they wrap it up nice and tightly. Let's hope there's no other victims. Uh, and... Uh, Let's pray for those families. Uh, and I'm looking forward again, like you said, Billy, Tuesday night. I think that's going to be a great show. Amazing. Guys, uh, have a happy Sunday. I hope you're having a nice dinner with your family. Have a glass of wine for me. I haven't had a glass of wine. This is my ninth day. I'm trying to, like, chill out, <laughs> chill out for a little bit, lose a little weight. 
and I'm I'm dying to have a glass of red wine, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep keep up on my fast from red wine. Anyway, guys, have a great Sunday. Be safe out there. God bless. Stay safe, everyone. One episode just ain't enough.